Good evening, everyone. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 9, we'll be talking about that tonight. You may refer to it as we go through our lesson, but I'm just going to tell you about it. Have you ever told yourself that you were going to do something? You've not gotten around to it yet, but it's on your list. And it may be something that uh, you told yourself a long time ago. It's still out there, and that's okay. Uh, You may not have procrastinated because it's an unpleasant thing. It's maybe something you're looking forward to, and you'll be glad when you do it. But you've not done it yet. Maybe you did not just tell yourself. Maybe you told someone else of something that you would do. And maybe they're still around, maybe they're not around anymore. Maybe they've passed on and you've still got this thing that you promised that you would do. That's the situation we find David in, in Second Samuel chapter 9. We want to take a moment to mention the setting here, the time. I don't know what you think about when you hear about David, but tonight's lesson is not David, the young shepherd boy who was left out in the field while the prophet Samuel came and looked over all his brothers to see who was going to be the next king. David had several older brothers. They all looked like the guy on the package of brawny paper towels. And they were broad at the shoulder, narrow at the hip. And they left David out in the field to watch the fox because he was the youngest and certainly would not be the one that Samuel indicated would be the next king. But they were wrong. And this is uh, that account where we learn that wonderful Bible teaching that the Lord does not look on the outward appearance of a man but he looks on the heart, and we love that. But that was years before tonight's lesson. And this is not David who came to check on his brothers and found all of Israel being taunted by Goliath the giant standing in the valley, taunting Israel and mocking God. And David said, I am going to put a stop to that. But that was years earlier. This is David later in his life as he is the king of a kingdom that is at peace. He's had a lot of battles. He's defeated a lot of enemies. But for now, tonight, we're talking about a time in David's life when there was peace. Have you ever had a moment in your life when you noticed that everything was okay? Have you ever stopped and thought, things are good right now? It's not always like that. We hear that into every life some rain must fall, and it seems rain falls more in some lives than others. But sometimes you find out that everybody's healthy, everybody's working, Everybody's getting along, 
there's contentment, there's optimism, people are looking ahead. Those moments can be rare and they can be fleeting. But David is in one of those moments. So there's peace in the kingdom. And what does he do when his enemies have been quelled and he has time to think? So we find in 2 Samuel chapter 9, he asks this question. Is there anyone left from the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for the sake of Jonathan? So let's make sure we understand the characters here. don't want to assume anything. Saul had been the king. Saul was the first king of Israel. But the Lord's spirit departed from Saul, and David was going to be the next king. I guess David was a big hit when he defeated Goliath, and he fought victoriously and valiantly in Saul's army. And they would return from battle, and the people in the streets would say, Here comes Saul. He's defeated his thousands. And here comes David. He's defeated his tens of thousands. And that did not sit well with Saul. And he made an enemy to David and two or three times tried to kill him. And so David and Saul were in conflict with each other. Jonathan was Saul's son, the prince. He would be the heir. He might be the next king. But Jonathan is in kind of a tight spot because he and David are the best of friends. The word says it was like their souls were knit together. Can you think of the best friend you ever had? It's probably someone that you not only enjoyed being with, but you could stay with them for long periods of time. I've kind of got this test in my mind, you know, how long a car trip could I take with somebody? And maybe there's folks that I could go on a 500-mile journey and we never shut up. We talk the whole way. And some folks I'd have trouble getting across town with. But Jonathan and Saul were the best of friends. You might have a friend you could finish each other's sentences. Many of you know that Richard Dicus and I have been friends for many, many years. Over 30 years. And there have been times when I was at home watching the news. And on the news was some terrible story, you know, cities burning down or riots in the street or some commotion, and I'd get a text. And I'd look, so I got a text from Richard. I open it up and he says, are you believing this? I guess he knew me well enough, he knew what I was watching and he was right. Saul and Jonathan were just so close. And it it created a problem for Jonathan. But if we think about uh, back in 1 Samuel chapter 20, 
Jonathan is telling David, look, all this fighting is not going to last forever. I know that my father Saul, the Spirit of the Lord's departed from him. You're going to be the next king. When you come into your kingdom, will you tell me this? Will you remember me? Will you remember me when you're on the throne? Will you tell me that? And David says, I will. And Jonathan asked again, Well, will you tell me that the Lord will always be between your descendants and my descendants forever? That our people will always be one with each other because of the great bond we have? And David said, Yes, I agree. And Jonathan said, Will you promise? Will you promise? And David agreed. And so tonight, we're talking about a moment that may be 20 years later. Jonathan is gone. He and Saul died in the battle on Mount Gilboa. And even though Jonathan's gone, David is sitting and thinking, and he says, Is there anyone left in the house of Saul to whom I can show the kindness of God? The second time, if you look in verse 3, he says the kindness of God. And that takes on a special meaning. That, that brings into attributes of grace and mercy. We're not talking about just, you know, have a good day, hope you're doing okay. It's talking about the kindness of God. And the people around David said, well, we need to call this fellow named Ziba. He used to serve Saul, and he'll know. So they bring in Ziba. And David says, hey, is there anyone left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for the sake of Jonathan? And Ziba says, yes. So David's excited. That's got to be good news. And even better, he says, Jonathan has a son who's still alive. That's great. Couldn't hope for anything more. Tell me about him. Well, his name is Mephibosheth. And he's living in the house of a fellow named Macher in a land called Lodabar. And he's crippled in both feet. He's lame, and he has been lame since he was five years old. And David says, go get him. Bring him here. So we're trying to think what we can gather from this news about Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son. He's living in another fellow's house, doesn't have a place of his own, evidently. The name Lodabar is something for us to take note of. Lodabar literally means no pasture. (laughs) In a society where they raise flocks, that's not good news. But it becomes synonymous with No pasture, not a good place, no place, nowheresville. Nowheresville and the people that live there are going nowhere. It's the end of the line. It's way, way back in the sticks. And people there have very few prospects. And of those, Mephibosheth may have the least because he's crippled. And he seems like he's living based on the charity of others. So he's in an obscure place. 
And David says, bring Mephibosheth here. Well, what's Mephibosheth to think about that? It's kind of like getting called to the principal's office. Because Mephibosheth probably might say, I don't really know David, but I know that he and my grandfather Saul were enemies, and David is the reason that a lot of Saul's household is not around. I might not want to go. And if you can imagine a person in a place that's not a good place, not really prospects of improving himself, but afraid to go to a better place. And it's as if he might live day to day, getting by, and the days turn into weeks, and the weeks turn into months, and the months turn into years, and the day comes when he dies and returns to the dust from which he came, and hardly anybody knew he died or lived. Would that be better than going to the palace? He doesn't know, but he's got to go. He has no choice because the king has summoned him. So we find out that when he's brought to the palace, he throws himself on the ground and he says, Here I am, your servant. He doesn't know what David's going to do. And David says, excuse me, David says, I am going to restore to you all the lands that Saul had, and I'm going to give you the men to run it. But I want you to be here in the palace and eat from the king's table regularly. And so in a moment... Mephibosheth goes from being a poor person with no prospects to being very wealthy with all these lands and these people working for him and a standing invitation to eat at the king's table. That's pretty good, right? We start to realize that this account in 2 Samuel is a prelude, a foreshadowing of the gospel. It's a, it's a pre, prelude to what Christ has done for every one of us who are in Christ. Plucked from obscurity and brought into the king's house. So this is what David has done. How did David know to do this? Mephibosheth has been restored. He was born into a royal palace, but at age five, he had to flee. And was, had, was, from age five, he was no longer part of the royal household. So this is a res- restoration. This is a redemption. How did David know to do this? What what David know about the kindness of God? 
Where did he learn this? Let me share for you, with you a few moments just some of the lyrics from the number one best-selling song of all time, words that are maybe as famous as any words in the history of human language. The songwriter was so great when he captured this, and he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He also says, He, the Lord, restoreth my soul. He sets a table for me before my enemies. My cup is running over. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's what the Lord has done for David. And now David has done that for Mephibosheth. When David calls Mephibosheth in, he said, I'm giving you all these lands. This fellow Zeba, he's got about 20 sons and 15 servants. They're going to run your place. They're going to work the land. The produce is going to be yours. You will be sustained. You will not want for anything. But you're always welcome to be in my house, the king, and to eat regularly from my table. So David has done for Mephibosheth what the Lord had done for him. But what about us? I said this was a foreshadowing of the gospel. When we start thinking, you know, what's the lesson we're supposed to learn? We might think, well, this is about David. Maybe the lesson is we should remember our promises, uh, that we should be kind, we should do good things for people. But in tonight's lesson, David's not representing us. He's representing Christ. We're represented by Mephibosheth. Okay, so we're in this, we're in this story. And we can see that uh, through God's kindness, what happened to him, there are many places in the New Testament that we can turn and see that this is what God has done for us. I've chosen tonight... Um, Ephesians chapter 2. Just just one of many places where we can say uh, that what Christ has done for us is comparable to what David did for Mephibosheth. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Spiritually, before Christ, we were homeless, 
We were hopeless. We were godless without a lot of prospects. I might have said that Mephibosheth seemingly had no prospects, but he had one, one big one. That was a promise that David had made to Jonathan. A long time ago, God found Abraham to be faithful. And his faith impressed God. He loved Abraham, and Abraham did not have an heir. But God said, Abraham, look up at the sky. You see all those stars? Your descendants will be like the number of those stars. And through your seed, the whole world will be blessed. And so we find that this is fulfilled in Christ. Verse 13 of Ephesians 2. But now in Christ, Jesus, you who formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Number, verse 16. And might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. So, verse 19, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and saints and are of God's household. So David, who wrote the 23rd Psalm, he says, Surely I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And David says, Mephibosheth, Move in with me, and you dwell in my house. And Christ tonight says, You are in my house, having put on Christ through obedience to the gospel. So, I hope you take that tonight as a a lesson of how God uh, tells us that he is true to his promise, he is faithful to his promise. Sometimes we think that we're, we've got a big part in this story, but um, we really were separate from God because of our sin, and that's been removed, and now we're like his children. But what if you're not in Christ? What if you've not availed yourself to the promise? Is tonight the night for you to catch the bus out of Lodabar? You can. You can leave a no good place that's going nowhere and catch the bus to the big house. Jesus is extending this invitation. And he says, come. Come home. And be be my brother. And eat at the king's table. If you know the gospel. And you believe Jesus is who he said he is. And you believe he's the resurrected savior. There's life in him. Life that extends beyond this age. But you've not put him on in baptism through faith. 
tonight's the night. Are you tired of being in the load of bar? Then come to Christ tonight while we stand and sing. The King of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain 